0: To you open your Bibles now to the letter of First John. It's uh, toward the latter part of the New Testament. This letter was written by the Apostle John, who claims to be an eyewitness of the work and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. John writes this letter. To those who have already professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As over against the gospel that bears his name, which was written to persuade people to believe on Christ, this letter is written to those who already have believed on Christ, but with the idea of granting them some sense of assurance about their possession of eternal life. In fact, we've noted this verse. This is sort of the theme verse of the entire uh, five chapters of this letter by the Apostle Paul John. 1 John 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, John uh, tells us that it is possible for someone to know that they have eternal life, that they will live for eternity in the new heavens and new earth, that they have a knowledge of God, that they have fellowship and communion with God. So he gives us a number of things by which we can know or have that assurance. I'm calling those things spiritual vital signs. They are like likened to our physical life, our pulse or respiration. How do we know someone is alive physically? Because we see they are breathing, they have a pulse, their heart is beating within their chest. Those are physical vital signs. These things are spiritual vital signs. And we've noted there are five of them, and they are repeated themes that are inter- interwoven into a sort of a, a tapestry of assurance. And one of them that we have just addressed in the last time we were together is an abiding love for God's people, a desire to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ an interest in their lives and a willingness to share your life with them. That is a vital sign and evidence of spiritual life. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and if you have spiritual life in you then there will be a desire in you to be with the people of God. There will be a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ To the point that you'll be willing to sacrifice yourself for their sake. So says the Apostle John. Now he addresses another matter of assurance which is related to that. And that is um, an internal sense of assurance. Assurance that arises out of your own heart and the difficulties with that. Because it is subjective in nature. And sometimes your heart may actually witness against you. So we read uh, verses ten through twenty-four. So you might get our passage this morning in its context, but the verses we're focusing on this morning are verses nineteen through twenty-four. First John three verses ten to twenty-four. Here now the reading of God's word. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we, we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brethren, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth. And will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Christ, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You have revealed to us in Your Word that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. That in our fallen condition our hearts are darkened and our minds are darkened. So we pray for the enlightening presence and work of your Holy Spirit. We might see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. That we might be drawn to him in whom there is life eternal. We pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever heard um, this quote? We have met the enemy and it is us. I heard that a long time ago. And I assumed... And that quote was made by some famous philosopher, some great statesman of some sort or another. Do you know who wrote it? Do you know who made that quote? Some of you do because you read the comics every Sunday. I don't read them, so I don't know who said it. But I found out it was Pogo. The character of the comic strip written by Walt Kelly about characters in the Okefenokee Swamp, famous possum, comic strip character, philosopher, Poga. But it doesn't matter who said it, it really does it because it's true. sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Uh, Another way of putting it, sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. And we sometimes do that spiritually as well. So on the matter of assurance of faith, your own heart can sometimes be your Worst enemy. Your heart can sometimes be the greatest source of, of spiritual doubt. Many godly men have struggled with spiritual doubt. Sometimes those doubts are intellectual in nature about the character or even the existence of God, but what John addresses here. It's not doubts about thought about God, but doubts about his own life spiritually. So John raises now the question of the heart, the internal aspect of our assurance. How do I deal with the internal voice, the voice of conscience? The heart, when that heart speaks to me, when I speak to myself, words of condemnation. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But it happens. What do I do when my own heart speaks to me, questioning? Whether or not I am truly a Christian, what do I do when my heart tells me that I may not truly have eternal life? What do I do with that? Well, as we've already mentioned in our study of John, we have these spiritual vital signs. And John tells us that one of the things that will bring assurance into our lives is when we see that there is a true interest in and abiding love for the people of God in our interaction with them in the body of Christ, in the fellowship of believers. That may be one thing among many others that would strengthen our faith and grant us growing assurance. Verse 14 of this third chapter explicitly states it. He says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. There is no love of God or love of God's people in your heart, no interest in their lives, no willingness to share your life with them, how can it be said that you have spiritual life? That's what John is saying. And conversely, if there is in your life a true interest in and love for God's people, interaction with, your life is intertwined with the life of others who love Christ in the body of Christ, then that is evidence of spiritual life. And thus brings assurance. But what if I look at my life? What if I examine myself in the mirror of self-consciousness and I wonder about myself? Am I really alive spiritually? Do I really have an interest in the body of Christ, the people of God? And then my heart questions the truth of my being in Christ. What do I do about that? Well, John addresses this question of what we might call the changing nature of heart assurance. And then we're going to contrast that with the stability and permanence of God assurance. First, the changing nature of what I'm calling heart assurance. Verses 19 and the first part of verse 20, uh, John says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him In whatever our heart condemns us. Here we see that sometimes our heart, according to the Apostle John, will be in need of assurance. It will need to be assured about this matter of eternal life. My heart will need to be assured before God that I am of the truth. Why? Because John speaks here of our hearts as on the one hand condemning us, and on the other hand not condemning us. Now, when he speaks of the heart, uh, John is speaking of the inner man, as some have suggested, uh, the contents, uh, the immaterial aspect of man's being. According to Scripture, we are both body and soul. Uh, We are both material beings and immaterial beings. We are not just material machines, nor are we Non-material, we have an immaterial essence which is called the soul. Sometimes called the spirit, sometimes called the heart, uh, sometimes called the conscience. Matthew Henry in his commentary gives us definition of the heart. He says, our heart here is our self-reflecting judicial power, that noble, excellent ability whereby we can take cognizance of ourselves. The power of moral self-consciousness, self-reflection, the ability to think about ourselves. He goes on to say, conscience is God's vice-regent. It calls us into the court of heaven before our God. So God gave us a conscience at the very inception of creation, We were given the capacity of self-consciousness, of self-awareness and self-knowledge. You and I are aware, for the most part, at least most of us are aware. There are a few people who are out there, not sure if they're aware or not. Anybody home? Most of us are aware of what we're doing. Sometimes we ask our children, what are you doing? To which they respond, I don't know. <laughs> um, but for the most part, we are aware of whether or not what we're doing is in keeping with what God requires of us. Conscience functions differently depending upon our spiritual condition. First, there is conscience in its pristine condition after creation, as God made man after His own image, there conscience would be innocent and self-affirming. Conscience would be the friend that came alongside and spoke words of assuring affirmation in everything you did, because you would be doing that which you ought to do, that which was right and true before God, And conscience would be, so to speak, your cheerleader, encouraging you along the way. That would be the manner in which conscience functioned in the lives of Adam and Eve before they sinned. It would be a great source of blessing and encouragement to them, speaking words of affirmation and blessing to the inner man. And when you are living in a way that is right, that is honoring to God, that is in sync with what God's will is, then your conscience also speaks words of affirmation to you. And there's a sense of well-being and rightness about your life. But of course, the story doesn't stop there. There's also conscience or the heart fallen, the heart corrupted by sin. And the conscience then becomes self-condemning, defiled, and even at some point seared. The Scriptures tell us that conscience continues to function in the life of those, even those who do not have a knowledge of God. It is a part of their humanness. It is a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. So the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 2, verses 14 to 15, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. Conscience is sort of the moral compass of life. And even in the one who does not know God, conscience is still alive, although grossly compromised and corrupted. But it may speak truly, even in the heart of one who does not know God. I dare say every one of you knows what that is like. You can hardly get out of the crib without experiencing some sense of conscience. Perhaps you can remember in your life when you knowingly and willingly went contrary to what you knew was right. And then your conscience rose up and spoke against you and condemned you and accused you. But of course, our conscience doesn't always function properly because the Scripture tells us our hearts are corrupted by sin and bent and turned away, and thus the Bible talks about conscience defiled, Titus 1 verse 15 says both their conscience and their minds are defiled. And if you would continually resist conscience and go against conscience, eventually your conscience would become seared, cauterized, rendered tough, insensitive, unresponsive. Thus, you could find yourself doing all kinds of things you didn't think you would ever dream that you could do, without even the slightest tinge of conscience. So conscience created is innocent and a self-affirming. Conscience fallen is self-condemning, defiled, and seared. But then there is conscience converted, or conscience transformed by the grace of God. When God makes us alive in Christ, when the Spirit of God changes our hearts, there is a sense in which the conscience is revived and renewed and restored. And then the conscience can become informed and convicting, but it also could remain uninformed and confusing or misguided and condemning. Your conscience could be accusing you when it ought to accuse you, but not within accusing you when it shouldn't. It could be a... A mixed bag. When a man comes to know God, when he's born of God's Spirit, conscience begins to function again as a moral compass in the life. I remember this in my own life. This is regard to my language. As a child, I was taught not to speak certain words. But as I was growing up in high school, that became my regular vocabulary. Not around my parents, of course, but around my peers. It didn't bother me a bit. It did at first. But afterwards, it didn't bother me. I just didn't even think about it. But after the Spirit of God renewed my heart and my conscience was awakened again, then it began to bother me. And my language changed. I wish the rest of my life would change as easily, um, but it's been a little bit slower than just removing some words from, from my vocabulary. When conscience is informed by the Word of God, then it keeps you on course by warning and convicting you when you stray and affirming and assuring when you do the thing that is called upon you to do when you obey. However, in the life of the believer in Jesus, conscience may not always function accurately. The heart can be fickle. So you may do something that's not really sinful at all, but your conscience might rise up and condemn you when it should not. Or you may do something that is wrong and ungodly, and your conscience may not come to your aid. It may not bring about conviction when it ought to. It can be misguided. And sometimes your conscience may be your enemy. An assurance of spiritual life can be disturbed. I think this is partly what John has in mind in verse 20. Uh, when he says, whenever our hearts condemn us. Now, it sounds as though that this is something which John assumes will happen. It will be our experience at some time or another in our spiritual lives that our conscience will condemn us. I dare say if you've lived a life as a believer for very long and sought to really be about the business of pleasing your God, your conscience has at some point along the way condemned you. What do you do when that happens? The word condemn in this passage is the combination of two Greek words, which means uh, to know against. Your heart knows something against you and speaks out against you as though it were testifying in a court of law, raising up testimony and evidence against you. Is possible your heart could speak against you and condemn you falsely. You could be thinking about your life spiritually and wondering about your state before God. Your heart might say to you, you hypocrite. You are no Christian. What makes you think that you have eternal life? You ever thought that about yourself? Ever said that to yourself? You don't pursue your relationship with Christ. When was the last time you ever had any sort of devotional life? When was the last time you ever cracked open your Bible to seek the face of God? When was the last time you spent any time in prayer? And look at all the sin in your life. Your life is a mess. You lust and worry and full of anxiety and anger and laziness and covetousness. All that your heart might speak against you, all of this condemnation can come upon you from within, from your own heart. It's not that that comes outside. We have that. Yes, we do. You you have somebody in your life who's more than willing to criticize you. I'm sure of that. There are those in this world who are hypercritical, judgmental, and who are willing to lay upon you all manner of judgment, extremely critical and harsh, and bring condemnation and doubt into your life. There are those people. It's not even the condemnation that might come to you from spiritual forces from without. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. This is condemnation that might come upon you from your own heart in whatever our hearts condemn us. Now, of course, there are times when our conscience may rightly convict us, but that's a whole different thing than when your conscience would rise up to condemn you. you ever experienced that? Maybe after some real, serious, spiritual failure. Your heart speaks against you. Some harsh words spoken, lustful thoughts or actions. And you wonder about your own spiritual life. And assurance is undermined. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, John says in verses 19 to 20, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before God in whatever our heart condemns us. He says we, we know by this. By what? The Apostle John is referring back to verses 10 through 18 where he lays out another spiritual vital sign, and that is our love for, interest in, and involvement with the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the heart rises up to speak against you, but the presence of a true love for God's people and your life in the body of Christ uh, testifies to the contrary and assures your heart in whatever your heart may condemn you. The word assure means persuaded or convinced. The, there's the courtroom setting and one testifies. One way of the testimony of God's Spirit in your life uh, becomes o- overwhelming testimony that overcomes the condemning testimony of your own heart. And thus assurance is increased and improved and strengthened when you see the work of God's Spirit in your life and there's a genuine sacrificial and selfless love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. But sometimes our hearts will not condemn us. They will speak comfort and peace to our souls. So verses 20 to 21, the latter part of verse 20, the Apostle John says, For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Our heart, our conscience has limited knowledge and not always accurate knowledge. We don't always speak accurately to ourselves, but God knows all things. He has perfect knowledge. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When our heart does not condemn us, it is because it rightly assesses the situation in our lives uh, that we've not been pursuing a lifestyle of death and rebellion against God, but rather the evidences of the presence of the Spirit of God are there in our lives. There is a true interest in Jesus as the eternal Son of God who's come in the flesh what John says we saw and we heard and we handled with our own hands concerning uh, eternal life. There is a real sensitivity to sin in your life, a willingness to confess it and turn away from it. There is an interest in the Word of God and a desire to keep it. And there is a healthy aversion to the world that is opposed to our spiritual life. All those things mount up evidence And thus, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is the evidence of spiritual life that breeds spiritual confidence and assurance in life from our hearts. But our heart assurance, of course, can be up and down. So we move then to the unchanging nature of God assurance. John writes, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God in whatever we ask we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing His sight. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of God, And love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit who He has given us. So in verse 19, we can assure our hearts before God. Verse 20, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Verse 22, we have confidence, that is, boldness and courage before God. Our hearts may convict us, yes, At times our hearts might even condemn us, but God, John tells us, is greater than our hearts. He knows all things. He knows the true condition of our hearts. And He speaks to our hearts by His Word and by His Spirit, and He assures us over against the false accusations that might come even from our hearts. So your heart says to you, you are a fake. And God says to you by His Spirit and Word, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Your heart says to you, you are so sinful. You will never make it into heaven. And God by His Spirit and Word speaks to you and says, I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Your heart says to you, God will never hear your prayers. God says to your heart, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. And all those things present in the life and witnessed by your Heavenly Father speak peace, confidence, and assurance to your heart. May God help us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, how we need you to speak to our hearts. Some of us have lost hope. Oh God, restore our hope. By Your grace in Jesus, we ask in His name. Amen.